believe it or not, Lent's starting up this week. Uh, Worth a Thousand Words is going to be our Lenten series. We'll be doing that as a part of our uh, sermon series, but we'll also be doing it within our children's ministry, our student ministry, all across the board we are. And uh, so uh, for adults, one of the greatest ways that you can get the most out of this experience is by joining a life group. And so if you'd like to join a life group, life group signups are in the parlor today as well as the curriculum that you can pick up today. Uh, we, look forward to, uh, we look forward to this series together. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5. We're at verse 13. So listen now to the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last night, obviously, it was Valentine's, and Jen and I, we, uh, we snuck away for a quick dinner, and we probably have a conversation like many of you. Is it Valentine's already? I feel like, not like in a bad way, it's not like we like dread Valentine's Day, but I feel like we were just here. It's amazing how time has this tendency just to kind of just slip through our fingers, almost in this vicious, stealthy way. Time has a tendency just to, just to have this lulling effect. And every once in a while, an anniversary, a, a Christmas, or all of a sudden wakes us up to, it's been another year. And that's the way it was for Jen and I last night we were talking about. And it's interesting how these rhythms and cycles within our life kind of wake us up a little bit. You know, for instance, with Ash Wednesday is coming up. The Lent season is here already. Uh, focus happened again this year. That already happened. For me, I've just been thinking more about how rhythms and cycles are powerful in our, in our life. And there might also be bigger rhythms and cycles. If we were to back away from, from time a little bit more outside of our own life and look at a bigger picture, there are people who say that you can see cycles and rhythms within human history. Phyllis Tickle, she's an author. You can giggle at her name if you'd like to. I'm sure she's used to it. Phyllis Tickle wrote a book called The Great Emergence, and she shared something really interesting in this book. What she shared is that there is a tendency for the church, the, the Christianity, to go through a great transformation every 500 years. So, for instance, uh, 500 years after Jesus walked this earth, there was a huge transformation. Christianity had just went from the persecuted minority and through a dream that the the uh, emperor had, Constantine, he uh, adopted Christianity to be, to be the religion for his whole empire. And a little after 500 AD, the Roman Empire fell, and so did the identity that Christianity had at that time. It, it was shifting. Culture was shifting. 500 years later, a little after 1000 AD, there is this major rift between the church, the Christian church in the world. The Roman uh, Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church had this great schism, and tr- the Christianity had to relearn what it was going to be in this world. Five hundred years after that, fifteen seventeen, right after the uh, printing press had taken over, this incredible movement happened from Europe. 
This Protestant Reformation took shape and it really changed the Christian identity throughout the whole world. And for, for this author, she'd say, guess what? Here we are, 500 years later. And there might be a shift going on within Christianity in our world today. For those of us Americans, we can look at Christianity in America and we kind of sense there's a shift. Throughout our generation, there seemed seem to be a decline in what Christianity has held within the popular forum within our country. That Christianity in many ways has lost its prominence in America. There are some people who would say this, uh, this statistician by name Kinnaman, he studied America and he said that what's growing in America is this idea of that we're becoming more and more post-Christian. That we're, rather than just asking people if they're culturally Christian, he studied people's lives. And he began to see that there are people who are becoming increasingly post-Christian. What's interesting from his findings were he broke it up into age and stage, and he found that seniors, people who are older than 67, there are around 28% of them are post-Christian, meaning they are intentionally distancing themselves from a Christian identity. From people who are, who are uh, ages 48 to 66, these are people that they call boomers, 35% of them are post-Christian. People who are 29 to 47 40% of them are post-Christian. And for people who are 18 to 28, 48%, nearly half of them, would consider themselves post-Christian. That they're wanting to distance themselves from the Christian identity that America had for, much, for, long, for long periods of time. And this is forcing the church to reconsider how are we going to approach our culture and our identity in this new world. What are we going to do? Well, the reality is that in, in post-Christian America, the church can't rely on what we have for generations and generations. We can't rely on our prominence, that we are, just, we're, that we are uh, people where people uh, naturally gravitate, we, that people look for us and respect the Christian voice necessarily. We, we have lost our sense of popularity, just our standing within our society, and our power, our authority to have a powerful voice in our culture. In many ways, people would say that we have lost that ability in this new age. But here's the hope. Jesus didn't rely on any of those things. He didn't rely on popularity, prominence, or power. And through the life of Christ, light entered the world and it transformed everything. We find, oh, look at this lighter. Light entered the world. And through the life of Christ, transformation happened. This is so interesting, what's, what through the life of Jesus, what was able to have happen. This was God's master plan, for better or for worse, that how is God going to change the world that through one human body, through his son Jesus, that with eyes that God could show the world that God sees this world, and through a voice that the, this world could hear the voice saying, I know your name, and to speak blessing to them. And with hands to be able to serve them and through a real life, that Jesus could be able to step into this world and offer his perfect sacrifice. For better or for worse, this was God's master plan. And the interesting thing about this for me is, Jesus stepped into a society much like ours, where there is this great shifting for the nation of Israel, Roman Empire came in and took over Israel. And there is this sense of lost 
losing of identity that happened in that time and that place, where, where there was prominence and power and popularity, it began to shift a little bit in Jesus' time. And there are different ways that people responded to this. The people in Jesus' time, there's different ways that people that responded to this, this shifting in their culture. There are some people who said, if the culture is going to shift away, then what we need to do as God's holy people is we need to separate from it. So if the culture go on to it, whatever extent it's going to do, and we're going to separate from it and protect our holiness, protect our community. These are people that are Pharisees, Pharisees in the scenes. They, they separated from culture, and they became incredibly fixated on the holiness of their life. Other people, they thought that what we're called to do when culture is shifting away from us is we're called to go to battle. These are culture warriors who feel like for us to, to be faithful means that we're going to have to step in and go to battle to fight for what we know to be true. And these were the zealots. They were incredibly aggressive and actually took up arms against the Romans with the belief that God was calling them to do this. And then there was other people. And these are mostly called the Sadducees. There, there's a community within Jesus' time and age that thought, well, maybe we could just, the best thing for us to do is to blend our two different cultures. So we have our religious culture, and then we have the Roman culture. So what if we just kind of just meet in the common denominator, kind of blend both ways? But with Jesus, Jesus offered a completely different way. Jesus, when Jesus saw that culture was shifting, rather than separating from it, Jesus engaged it. He stepped into it. Rather than take up arms and, and go to some warrior mentality, Jesus put on a towel and a basin, and he began to serve people. Instead of just kind of blending whatever's going on in the world with whatever was going on with God's kingdom, Jesus stood out in purity and love and held held God's way in the highest regard. We see here that Jesus offered a different way. What I love about this is that with Jesus' life, what happened was he surprised everyone. If he truly was the Son of God, then wouldn't he be afraid of engaging this world and this culture, of being made impure? I think if you were to study Jesus' life, I'd be curious about this. If How much of Jesus' ministry was he unclean because of his interaction with the world? I wonder to what extent of his life where he just kind of lived in that area. You see, contamination for Jesus wasn't the fear. Contamination wasn't contagious. The beautiful thing was that Jesus believed that life and holiness was contagious. That hope was contagious. Purity was contagious. The love of God was contagious. And so Jesus stepped into the world and engaged it with this hope. He stepped into the mess of this world and said, if you want to be made clean, come, sit, dine with me, be with me, and in doing so, you'll be made clean. For us who are followers of Jesus, we have to look at this not only as just an example for us to kind of parse out and consider, but we need to remember this commandment to follow Jesus. And remember, what was God's master plan to transform the world? By God's people being in the world. That this master plan wasn't finished when Jesus returned to heaven, but this is the way in which God transforms the world is through the power of people being present in the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
The interesting thing about this passage was that Jesus had just got done going through the Beatitudes. Blessed are. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek and those who mourn. And you can imagine sitting there in the audience and going, okay, I'm tracking it. I'm tracking you. And then all of a sudden Jesus said, but you, you are the light of the world. You are the salt. If I were sitting in that seat, I'd go, I, I thought you were the light of the world. <laughs> I thought you were the salt. What Jesus was saying, though, is we will never tr- know our true identity as followers of Christ until we are willing to go into the world and engage it. Just as salt is known for being salty, and just as light is known when it illuminates in darkness, we as God's people, we know and experience our identity when we go into the world. That is actually where we come a lot. And I think this world's longing for that. A friend of mine named Ryan, he did youth ministry in Bryan College Station. Uh, he was working with high school students. He showed up at the high school his first week, and he saw this goth-out student, black from head to toe, black eyeliner. His name was Killian, named after beer. And he, he was the most, like, just the dark person. He was far from God. And Ryan said, I'm going to try as best I can to become friends with Killian. And so he started hanging out with Killian around the school and that type of thing. And, and this one Friday, Ryan was talking to him. I said, well, what are you doing this week? And he said, well, I'm going to a concert. A punk band is playing in Houston. You should come, Ryan. And Ryan's like, yeah, whatever. And they went on about his way. And then that Friday, uh, Friday night, as things were kind of winding down from this day, Ryan's thinking about what he's going to do that night. And then he began to ask one of my favorite questions. What if? What if I just drove down to Houston and showed up? What would happen? What might happen if I did that? So Ryan found a friend who was crazy enough to actually go with them. They jumped in the car. They drove down to Houston. They went to this club in downtown Houston. And they're about to go into the club. And all of a sudden, Killian saw Ryan. And you need to understand, Ryan is like uh, the opposite of punk. He, like, loves Old Navy. Like... (laughs) Cargo pants, 24-7. He loves it. And so here comes Old Navy, and at the age of like 20, he already looked like a dad. He's kind of had like the dad look. Uh, curly hair, it was just kind of already, you know, just hairy chest, and it was all that kind of stuff. So he showed up at this punk concert, and Killian saw him. And the first thing out of Killian's mouth was, what the are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then Ryan said, well, I, you invited me. I wanted to come and see what what this was like. And over and over again, Killian kept on saying the words, I can't believe you showed up. I I can't believe you showed up. Over and over again, just in disbelief. And then eventually Ryan was like, well, are we going to go in the concert? Okay, so they went in the concert, and Ryan spent the rest of the night moshing with all of Killian and his friends (laughs) at this concert. Spent the whole night in his old Navy polo, just jumping around and being moshed with all these kids, jumped in his car, went back home. The next Monday, he showed up at the high school, and Killian came running towards him and saying, I've told all my friends that the Jesus guy went to my punk concert. (laughs) And Ryan said, that's awesome. Please don't call me the Jesus guy. My name is Ryan. Sure enough, the week went on, and Ryan had his, like, youth gathering that Wednesday night. And guess who showed up? It was Killian. And Killian brought all his friends And afterwards, Ryan was saying, well, Killian, I can't believe you showed up. That's wonderful. He said, if you're willing to meet with me on my turf, 
I want to know more about you. I want to know why you do this. And I, I can easily show up on your turf. What I love about that is that for me just oozes Jesus. That just sounds like something that Jesus would do is to show up on people's turf. Not to require them to come to us if they want to hear more about Jesus or come to us if they want to experience relationship with us. But for us as followers of Jesus to be compelled to go into the world, even to the punk concerts in this world, so that we might be able to step into relationship. So that we might be able to show that God shows up in humanity's turf. That's what the incarnation is all about. John 3.17 is right after, you know, the most famous verse in all the Bible. But listen to John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The love of Jesus is compelled to be sent into the world, not for condemnation, but for salvation. That through Jesus' presence, that people could experience God's salvation. And so for us as God's people, to what degree are we feeling compelled to go into the world? Gabe Lines was the speaker this weekend at Focus. He wrote a book called Unchristian. He studied that mosaic generation, that 18 to 24-year-old people. And in this book, he did a lot of different surveys, but he asked these young people, he asked non-Christians who were of this generation, whether or not they knew a Christian personally, 84% of them said they did. And out of those people, he asked them the second question, is their lifestyle any different? And 15% of them said, yes, being a Christian seems to be different than my life. And for me, when I hear this, I think to myself, but Jesus was different. Whenever he would step in, it would be as radical as light into darkness and salt into this world that Jesus seemed to be distinct and different. How come we're not known as being that? You know, like this past week I was reading in my own personal devotional time, Acts chapter 4, when, when Peter and John were called into the Sanhedrin to testify. And the people in the Sanhedrin looked at them, they listened to them, they said, these guys are unschooled, ordinary men, but we can tell that they have been with Jesus. How? How could they tell that they have been with Jesus? How is that? For me, that's different than just studying Jesus and researching him. And I feel like we're good at this. We're, we spend time in Scripture studying Jesus. When we go to our Bible studies or our life groups, we talk about Jesus. We come here on Sunday. You hear about Jesus and we sing about Jesus. But that doesn't seem to be enough of actually knowing Jesus being able to kind of have the presence and the, the aroma of Christ around our life. Bob Goff explained it like this. What do you call when someone actually knows a lot about someone else but doesn't actually spend time with them? It's called a stalker. <laughs> and he was like, I feel like I've been stalking Jesus my whole life. I know all sorts of stuff about him. But I don't know how much I actually experience him. And I think this kind of stalking is creeping Jesus out. And I think it's creeping me out. And I think for me, it's just this beautiful reminder that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, that we have to actually be willing to be people who are to go where Jesus goes and act like Jesus acts and speak blessing like Jesus speaks blessing, to be filled with courage and imagination about how God could actually use our presence in this world. What if God actually could look at us and instead of being hidden out, what if we were people who would be stepping into the mess of this world just like Jesus would? And the presence of God would be known with confused and ordinary, unschooled people like you and I. 
and how God's presence could be able to go in this world and meet people who are hungry to know of God's salvation. You know, for me, if I were sitting in that audience and I hear Jesus say, you are the salt of this world, you are the light of this world, I'd say, no, you are, not me. I can't do it. But this is the beauty about this illustration of what if, what if we were truly the light of this world is the light is not called to be the Savior. The light's not called to, to transform the world. The light is not called to be the way. All the light does is it just illuminates. It just shines. And I think what Jesus is saying is, you know who you are to be? You're to people who are to go in this world and shine on me to shine on the gospel, to shine on the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, that I think that is this call. The pressure's not on us because when we step into this world and we fail, we can still shine on the power of grace in our life. We can still do this, but we can't do it if we're just sheltered, if we're held within. To follow Jesus means that we have to be willing to get out from underneath this bowl. Not only because the bowl hides the shine, the light of Christ, but it's also if the light goes within the bowl, it's going to be snuffed out because it doesn't work that way. And I think many of us, we look at this burned out end of a candle, and many of us, if you're honest today, you might even say, this is where I am today. I don't know if I have any vibrancy or life with Jesus. I got a lot of questions. And I think for us, Just like a branch needs to be connected to a vine so that it might be alive, so does the light have to go into the world to experience life and vitality. Get out from underneath the bowl. Be filled with courage. Go into the world to engage the culture, not to be afraid of it, not to war it, not to blend in, but go in there to be stand unique like salt and light. Go out from underneath the bowl in this world with courage that Jesus uses ordinary people to shine on him. God has given you this light to make great the name of Jesus and to shine the gospel into this world. What might God want to do with you? May God fill you with courage, fill you with imagination of what that would look like. Amen.